on the property experience, our hosts Zarko Jokic and Anna Porter will take you behind the curtain of the property market Australia-wide. We are here again today at the Property Experience Podcast with Steve Polisi from Suburbanite and Kylie Bazzi from World Class Conveyancing. Welcome, Kylie and Steve. Thank you. Thanks, Anna. So... So having a conveyancer here is a real treat because the legal side of the property uh, transactions is something that is well above my skill set and probably most uh, buyers, agents and investment experts, whether they whether they admit that, care to admit that or not, um, I think it's one of the most important elements of any transaction. So I wanted to pick your brains a little bit and I suppose first if you could just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, the company, how, how you got into this line of work. Yeah, so my name's Kylie Bazzi. Um, I own World Class Conveyancing. We've got an office in Sydney and also the Central Coast. Um, we've been o- we've been open now for about six years, and I've been in conveyancing myself for about thirteen years. Um, so yeah, small little office. And how I got in it was probably I, I just always wanted to do something in the legal field, but probably wasn't too sure what. Um, and yeah, conveyancing just came up, and I thought. That sounds interesting. Let me give it a go and pretty much got in it and here I am today. So, yeah, love it. Love every day that we, we help clients with their conveyancing process. So I'd imagine it'd be pretty fast-paced sort Very of Very fast-paced. It's, it's so fast-paced that, yeah, you just – you get clients call you and sometimes, you know, I need to exchange within an hour and it, it's very fast-paced and, and every purchaser – or, or seller, you're, you're speaking to them at the time where they're highly stressed from day one. So it is definitely fast-paced. Yeah, fantastic. So I get asked all the time, and I imagine you do too, Steve, why should I use a conveyancer versus a solicitor? Yeah, it's a really good question and and, and, and that does come up quite a lot. Look, I'm a conveyancer, so I'm always going to say choose a conveyancer, they're the best. But in reality, um, look, a conveyancer and a solicitor are qualified to do the exact same job. Um, the difference and probably the, the better reason of using a conveyancer is conveyancers do only conveyancing day in and day out all day every day so so we are specialized in it and I would say we would see a lot more of the day-to-day issues and concerns that a law firm would because just due to, purely due to our volume um, would be a lot more than them and w- that's all we're doing all day every day so so when would you use a solicitor what would a be solicitor, the circumstances for that um look I would probably say for everyday conveyancing I mean, there's there's no you could use either, and there's no need to pick a solicitor over a conveyancer or vice versa. I would probably say a solicitor would be more involved if you got things outside of conveyancing that you need to do. Um, you know, may, maybe a, a developer that's got a lot more legal needs than just conveyancing. Um, they may need a solicitor that deals in those areas of law. Um, but for conveyancing, either's fine, and there's there's no real reason. You know, a lot of people think that a solicitor must be more experienced or, or have more knowledge than a conveyancer. It's not the case at all. We're both experienced exactly the same in conveyancing, but they can deal with other areas of law where we don't. I've always been of the belief, and I could be wrong here, so do correct me if I am, that if the property transaction goes wrong, so if there's someone that won't settle and it has to go to court or there's other issues that arise that are sort of out of the control of the buyer and seller, uh, that's when a property solicitor may need to step in. Would that be correct? Or can a conveyancer handle those sort of going to court matters as well? Yes or no. Conveyancer doesn't go to court. We don't deal with matters that that are going to court or or may look at going through litigation. Um, But at the same time, yes, I, I do hear 
hear that come up quite often as well. Solicitors say that quite a lot. Um, but the reality is if something went to court, a solicitor would also not be able to do that on their own. They'll need to call in a barrister. So it's not just as easy as, you know, use a solicitor because if something goes wrong, we're here. They're, they're the next step that if something goes wrong and it needs to go through litigation, they will be the next step, then yes. Then you engage them at and that then point. You, yeah, then you need to engage further professionals as well. So it's not, not as straightforward as... If, if you've got a solicitor doing the conveyancing work anyway and their job is 99.9% of the time doing conveyancing, how good are they actually going to be at that legal stuff in the courtroom anyway? So they're going to offshoot it to someone else. What's your experience, Steve, with using solicitors versus conveyances? Like I know we, we had one where the client had their own solicitor um, that they brought with them that I don't think had done a conveyancing matter for about 35 years. And he put a contractor sale in the post on a Friday afternoon, even though I said one of my team would go over and pick it up from his office in North Sydney because it had to exchange that day. And he said, that's rubbish. The market doesn't move that quick. It They'll wait for us. What do you know? They didn't. They exchanged a contract on Saturday morning. Well, our contract was still in the post. So that was fun. What about you, Steve? Have you seen some examples? Yeah, but it, it just depends on the person. Like I've used Kylie literally hundreds of times with clients and she is far better than most solicitors I've ever used. And then I've had solicitors that are absolutely terrible. So them having a, a law degree does not change anything of how good they're doing their job. Yeah. Um, it's just like Kylie said, if stuff really went bad, you're generally going to outsource to a solicitor anyway. Um, I think there actually are some benefits of using solicitors if you're doing like a, a very complicated lease review or something like that. But if it's a fairly stock standard kind of project, um, conveyance is more than and they're generally cheaper as well. Yeah. And do you do commercial and residential? Yep, we do both. And, okay. and we deal with commercial leases. So definitely well, well versed on that. I mean, if you had a matter where you, you know, a, a community matter where you're acting for some huge company like TNT or something like that, and that had all these specialised leases and stuff in a contract, you may look at engaging a, a lawyer at that time, but it wouldn't just be an everyday suburban lawyer either. It would be someone spe- fully specialised in that area. Um, and yeah, but otherwise the everyday conveyancing, I mean, we do a lot of them. So Day in, day yeah. out. Yeah. So it, when, you, um, when you're looking at doing a conveyancing matter versus residential versus commercial, what are some of the differences that buyers need to be aware of when they're going into that process? Yeah, look, the, the transfer of ownership and transfer of titles are the same, um, but the key differences uh, that buyers need to consider between residential and commercial, well, probably your biggest thing is due diligence. So obviously the due diligence you do on a residential versus commercial is, is very different. Commercial is a lot more extensive um, and we definitely recommend that a purchaser either familiarise theirself um, with the type of things outside of the contract and convincing that they need to look into or engage a professional such as a, a buyer's agent um, or a professional to help you with that sort of stuff because the due diligence with commercial is is massive. Um, The other thing are tax and GST liabilities. Obviously, between residential and commercial, they're very different. So we definitely recommend getting advice from your accountant um, and, and maybe your financial planner before you look at buying. Um, leases, so obviously if there's a tenant in the property between a residential lease and commercial, they're very different. Uh, commercial leases are quite complex. They're generally prepared by a or a solicitor and the terms and conditions are negotiated between landlord um, and tenant. So they're very different. Um, finance is very different. So you need a larger deposit, much larger deposit for commercial. Uh, the finance approval process can also take a lot longer than residential. Um, and then something else to think about is just cooling off periods. Obviously residential with private treaty sales have five-day cool-off periods and you can negotiate longer ones where commercial do not. So you need to make sure you've done all your due diligence, got your finance sorted and all that prior to, to buying the property. But the key is having a good team around you, such as your, your conveyancer, your broker, your buyer's agent, you know, all those sort of professionals. If you've got a good team around you, 
the process will be a lot smoother and won't seem as stressful as it as it is. Yeah, and that's a big thing. It's about taking away some of that stress, isn't it, when you've got the right team. Hey, Steve, in your experience, is every solicitor and conveyancer equipped to do commercial transactions or do some just take it on and not really know what they're doing? Yeah, definitely right there. You, you rarely meet someone who says, no, I don't want to take your money. So they'll <laughs> say, yep, I can do it. And they just fumble over it and it, it turns it turns to a dog's breakfast every single time. So when you're talking to a conveyancer, ask them how many commercial deals they've done, where they're registered, have they got runs on the board and just make sure they're qualified with it. Yeah, that's some great advice there. So talking about things that can go right and wrong, Kylie, what's some examples of some property transactions that you've seen go bad so that people know what to be careful of? And Yeah, look, there's there's lots of things that can go bad. I mean, just to name a few, um, you know, say with residential, um, there's a lot of purchases these days that are trying to sort of skim on due diligence prior. So like not doing a pest and building inspection or strata or anything else that they may need just to save a few hundred dollars or or maybe if a thousand dollars, if that. Um, but then when something comes up down the track, it's costing them tens of thousands or even more. So they don't realise that, you know, check out the property you're buying, know more about the property you're buying and don't skim on these sort of reports, you know, or try and find the cheapest conveyance or the cheapest solicitor out there because it will cost you a lot down the track. Um, so that's a big thing. One, one of the things I find with that is, especially in like the hot markets like it is now, you really get sick of going and paying for a building pest, lose a deal. Paying for a building pest, lose a deal. So it, it can add up. So it that's does. I'd actually encourage you to speak with a conveyancer first and see what clauses you can get in the contract for negotiate your price and then do the building pest inspection yeah. prior to signing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's what you just got to work around the market. That's the thing, and um, that's what conveyancers do. We're pretty flexible. We try and work around with what is required for this matter, um, and and we'll and we'll go with that. So yeah, definitely. I guess one of the other things for for um, residential is um, loan approvals. I'm getting a lot of purchasers these days call up and they think a conditional approvals are formal, and they say, yeah, yeah, I've got uh, finance, it's all good, and I've negotiated with the agent to waive the cooling off. And I'm like, do you have an unconditional finance? Um, yeah, I think so, and they'll send it over. And it's just a conditional and I'm like, look, the bank still needs to do evaluation. And in some cases, they might still need to check off all the information you've given them. Uh, So with commercial, we had a client that purchased a property some time ago, didn't do proper due diligence before the purchase and then found out some months later that the local hospital had closed down. Um, and she basically said to us, Kylie, I can't rent my property out now and I can't sell it. So my um, family home is guarantor against this and I'll lose my family home if something doesn't change. So due diligence is key for commercial and having the right people behind you to help you with it. Um, and it's the just same with residential. We see people buy houses in mining towns or areas that are only propped up by these single industries, whether it be a hospital or a university. Yes. Uh, we see it with unis also all too often because people think it's such a safe bet but then the uni goes and puts on their own student accommodation because they can capture income and revenue from it and they take a lot of students out of the private market or the mine closes down. Property values in some instances I've seen have halved and rents have been impossible wow. to secure. So you're right, it's such a important step to do that due diligence outside of the property boundary itself as well. Of course. I mean, and having help because, I mean, I'm in conveyancing and if you ask me, you know, what what's every sort of due diligence step I should take with a commercial, I'm going to give it give you the advice from a conveyancing perspective, but get someone else on such as your buyer's agent and your professionals around you to really help you with the whole process. Yeah. yeah it helps. How costly can it be when something goes wrong in the conveyancing side of things? You know, how much 
money can people lose if they don't get the right advice? If they've bought off the plan and can't get finance or they can't settle or their property has termites, what sort of numbers Look, can it be? It could be massive, could be anywhere from a few thousand dollars to hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, yeah, I mean, we, we had some clients that bought unregistered land a few years back. They were told registrations during about 12 months. Didn't happen. Sunset date was four years, so they couldn't do much about it. Four years later, it registered right when COVID hit last year. Pretty much most purchasers couldn't get their finance and lost their 10% deposits. And they were also, you know, they, they could have been sued for loss in resale. So four years basically they sat in that contract yeah. and it wouldn't be unreasonable to assume that people's circumstances can and often will change they in do. four years. If you, like lending changed in that time, yep. so it got stricter. And yep. then if you've lost your job, changed jobs, had a baby, yep. increased debt somewhere else, yep. that's when the banks will say no to you, right? Yeah, of course, that's right. But and, you're still on the and, hook. And that's a risk with buying unregistered or off the plan property too there. So I want to get your thoughts on off the plan a little bit. And I'm, I'm going to ask you about this too, Steve. So we hear a lot of people buying off the plan. They're entering a contract. The developer might say it's only 5% deposit. What does that really mean? If they don't complete, are they losing 5%? Are they losing more? Can they get out of that? What's your experience there? So it depends on the, the wording in the contract. But generally, um, that just means that the developer will accept 5% up front and the balance on settlement. The reason they put it in that way and leave the front page to say a 10% is because if you default under the contract from a purchaser side and the vendor terminates, they'll come after you for the other 5%. They can also come after you, you know, if, if there's damages over and above that as well. So generally you're losing at least a 10% deposit. Would you personally buy off the plan or do you think it's too risky? Oh, look, everyone's circumstance is different. That's the thing. So, you know, you get, I might get a client come through that will be very highly cashed up and they've got a plan B or C if, if finance doesn't come through. It'll be a different situation than a young couple, first home buyer, can't risk even if the valuation comes in $1,000 less, can't borrow money from anywhere, no guarantor, you know, from parents. So everyone's situation's different. Some people it's way too risky and others the risk is a lot lower. Yeah, I think yes. a point to note is that 5% they put down as well. Most of the time the agents are using that as a selling point saying, mm. oh, it's not going to settle for two years. You get capital growth yeah. without any money down. That's all nice when the market's growing. If the market's not moving, you're literally sitting on your hands for two years doing nothing. No more investing. You're, you're locked in. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a friend of mine, he bought an off-the-plan unit in Brisbane against my better advice and judgment, uh, but he thought it was a safe bet because he had – it was a friend of a friend, you know, buy this great off-the-plan, best thing since sliced bread kind of dealio at the barbecue. Um, it was um, the guarantee in the contracts – guarantee, use that loosely – there's a clause that said if the property hadn't gone up by 20% in value – by the time it settled, he'd get out with no financial penalty. So he thought it was worth taking that risk. He thought that he'd wrapped it up nice and tightly. Um, you know, Sam still to this day, no, <laughs> still tells me he made a huge mistake. Um, and when it settled and it hadn't gone up by 20%, um, he lost his 10% deposit and some other costs. It was a very costly experience. And then there were, you know, he was in a good financial position. He could sustain that situation. But other people that were getting into those deals just couldn't. And it was yeah. it's one of the worst investments in his portfolio and he knows it. And he's, he's said that. He, he's um, he's done some um, public naming and shaming of that that company. I um, won't name many names. But, you know, the reality is there's a lot of people that are putting their life savings into these, aren't there? Yeah. And they can't afford to lose 100 or 200 grand. No, no. A everyday person can't even lose 20 grand really. Like it's a big hit. They're, they're taking years just to save it up and it's massive. Generally, you need to be weary. Whenever they're saying there's a guarantee for something, that's a red flag for me every single time because why are you buying something that needs that guarantee? You're buying an investment for 20, 30 years. If you need a 12 or 24-month guarantee, I'd say run a mile. Yeah, well, I mean, if the agents are 
telling you that they guarantee it's going to go up in value and they guarantee you're going to make equity, how come they're not buying 10 of them themselves if you've you'd, only got to put such a small amount down? And you'd it's buy guarantee. 10 and then sell them in the two years and get the 20% and move on to the next deal. Mm, interesting, isn't it? X, yeah, absolutely. So I also want to ask you a little bit about um, what a conveyancer does in that process because I, I do get people say, well, what am I giving the money over for? Can I just do it myself? Is it money that I need to spend? You know, what sort of magic's happening behind the scenes that I can't see? Don't they just read the contract and that's it, right? The agent can tell me what's in the contract. <laughs> yeah, we hear that all the time. Tell Anna. me what that process is and the, the key steps that need to be done to protect the buyer. Yeah, look, it's a massive process and it's a lot of, you know, sort of other industry professionals don't really know what we do. Like they know the general ID, um, but they don't know how much is involved. So obviously we take care of the transfer of ownership between the seller and and the buyer um, and there's lots of steps involved to get to that, such as dealing with their bank, dealing with government authorities, you know, officer state revenue, all that sort of stuff. Um, And then on top of that, we've got to make sure that our clients' obligations are met throughout the whole process uh, in terms of obligations under the contract, obligations to the officer state revenue, obligations to their bank, um, uh, et cetera. And, And on top of that, protecting the client along the way as well. So helping them, you know, or giving them advice to carry out inspections or or do certain searches or reports on the property, um, giving them advice depending on what type of property or transaction it is about whether they need to maybe engage another professional or get advice from their accountant or or whatever that may be. And that's the thing, like if you're trying to sort of, you know, do it yourself, which impossible but if you're trying to sort of scope around for the cheapest uh conveyancer there is or the cheapest lister out there you will get what you pay for because you know just with like delays alone can cost you thousands of dollars um in penalty interest uh fees you know all sorts of things if you're moving and booking removalist and taking time off work and you know got daycares to organize and all the rest of it so one little disaster you know whether it could be getting a, a settlement date wrong or just not doing something in time in accordance with the contract or just you know, there, there's so many things that could go wrong. So the step from the start to the end, yeah, it's absolutely critical. Um, and we look after all that for you. So we make sure you're protected. As, as a buyer, you need to realise the conveyancer is the only person in the entire process looking out for your best interests. You mean the agent's not? The agent's Wait, not. Even, <laughs> even anyone else, like even the broker or even the buyer's agent, they've still got an incentive because they're obviously getting paid a commission to get the deal over the line. The conveyancer can actually say, no, this is a terrible deal for X, Y, Z reasons. They're still getting paid, so they're actually giving like unfiltered advice. Yeah, and there's a legal liability and a legal requirement for that to be independent to make sure it looks after the best interest of the party you're working we for. We have to. And look, at you know, it even pees some agents off sometimes with some of the things we have to say, but we've got no choice. Like, we pay massive insurance each year, and if we're not given the advice that we've got to give, we'll, yeah, we'll be crucified. If, if anything, you're working against the real estate agent most of the time because you're trying to protect the client. Yeah, so. yeah absolutely. And, and the, the, the conversations between purchasers and agents are a big thing that comes up on a daily basis when I get that call to say, but the agent told me this, the agent told me that, the, mm. you know, the agent works for the seller and that's what you got to realise. Um, but at the end of the day, you should always be taking advice from your sister or conveyancer and not the agent. And a lot of people say to me as well that, you know, oh, but the agent's a really nice guy. Yeah, go have a barbecue with him. Don't trust his advice. It's not aligned for you. And if, he's, if you like him, he's doing a really good job. That's his job, to be liked and trusted and believed. Um, I just want to qualify. So you're licensed in New South Wales and Queensland. 
Yeah, so we with with Queensland, Queensland's the only state that's very different to everyone else, um, to be honest. So with conveyances, we don't need – there's no specific licence that you get for each state. Um, you know, it's, it's basically under our licensing requirements here. It says only do work that you're competent to do pretty much. With Queensland, they're the only state that's very different from every other state. They actually don't have conveyances. Um, there's no such thing as a licensed conveyancer in, in Queensland. Um, and basically because of that, there's no recognition of – conveyances whether a conveyancer can do their job or can't so basically their law says that in Queensland you need to be a solicitor to carry out conveyancing work and we've had lots of conversations with like the Australian Institute of Conveyances here and stuff because there's lots of conveyances that are on the border and it's like okay well what do they do um, and and they always say look it's a, it's a bit of a grey area because the legislation applies to solicitors and conveyances in Queensland outside of Queensland obviously because they don't recognise conveyances there's no such thing as can a conveyancer do our work from another state or can't they um, and, and with the other states there's no such license that you get basically if you're competent to do the work our insurer is comfortable with us doing it uh, if you're not stay away from it so with Queensland I've done Queensland work for years um, and even with WA I lived in WA and did convincing for the government for a couple of years there so um, but with WA I, I tend because I don't do too many I tend to stay away from them but yeah basically with Queensland they're the only state that's a bit different from from every other state in regards to convincing to be honest we find Victoria's got its own little nuances in in respect that there are two different sort of conveyances or solicitors where one will just process a transaction, the other will actually give advice. So you've got to actually differentiate which one you're getting. So some will look at the contract and say, yep, you want to sign this document, agree, and they process that. But they don't pull out the clauses and say, this is concerning. Do you know what this means? I'm going to renegotiate that. You pay more for a conveyance or a solicitor that actually provides advice, which is concerning if a consumer doesn't know which one they're getting because if they don't come back with advice on the contract, most people would assume that means it's okay. Yeah. Um, and then there's also um, in uh, Victoria, for example, you get a pest and building clause like you do in a lot of other states where you have uh, a period to get pest and building done and get out of the contract if there's problems. In most other states, you can provide a pest and building report with any issues to get out. In Victoria, it has to be structurally significant. Now, we've gone through that process with some clients where the building inspector said this is a concerning issue, so we've relied on that clause to get out, but then we've actually had to pay for a structural engineer to come in and actually say it's structurally significant. So generally, we get our conveyances or solicitors in Victoria to draft an additional clause that gives us much more protection than what the standard clause does. So there's all these nuances in different states. So I think it's really important that people out there do understand they have to work with someone who does know the different laws and the different yeah, regulations yeah absolutely yep. this is one of the points i made is when you ask your conveyancer how many deals have they done in that state and mm. how many deals have they done commercial versus resi and find out if they're qualified because there's obviously an argument of going say a queensland-based convent or solicitor um, who's done more deals than a new south wales based one but if your new south wales one has done just as many they can also be competent yeah yeah yeah, no, de- definitely. And and we're the same. If I, we get clients all the time saying, "Can you?" I had one yesterday. Can you do a, a conveyancing matter in Tasmania? Well, I could do it. Yeah, but will I do it? No, because I don't do them. So you, you're going to be better protected using someone that does. So I basically refer them to someone else. Fantastic. Yeah. All right, one last question for both of you, and I'll start with you, Kylie. Um, you would have seen a lot of investment strategies over the years, people rent vesting, flipping, developing, buying and holding and selling and all of these different strategies we see out there. Um, which one do you think works really well? What strategies do you like for investing? 
Look, for investing, I don't like to usually put my two cents in in regards to what strategy is better. It's probably I come to you guys for that sort of um, advice. But, yeah, I, I, I basically tell clients, look, if, if you're looking at um, investing and, and you want to have um, a strategy in place and, and build on that, get a professional such as a buyer's agent, engage them because, yeah, I, I, I don't want to even give sort of my opinion on it because I, I wouldn't say that I'm even qualified to, to do it, to be honest. Have you used any of them yourself? Have you ever done renovators or... Rent Vesta or any of those? Yeah, so we get clients that, that you know, will, will like flip houses and stuff and, and, and do all that. Some you get that, you know, won't have any professionals, you know, on board and, and just sort of familiarise themselves with it um, and others that have got like full-on buyers agents, financial planners, the whole works um, and, and we'll be dealing with a lot of those those different professionals. But, yeah, in regards to, to which one's best... I couldn't even tell you, to be honest. I mean, we see a lot of downfalls with with some areas as well. But again, I mean, you know, that's my opinion from what I see. I, w- I would say engage the right people, such as a buyer's agent, to, to help you with those sort of strategies and advice. Is it a one-size-fits-all approach, Steve? We see a lot of firms out there that have the we rent vest or we, you know, flip or we... Do you go to the firms that specialise in just that one strategy if that's appealing to you or is it better to do something tailored? It's, it's always going to be better to do something tailored. Like an 18-year-old person is going to have a completely different strategy to a 64-year-old and then they're going to have different risk profiles, like a single mum's different risk profile to someone who's on 400 grand a year with no kids and only rents, for instance. So it just depends on what their end goal is and you just weigh that up between their age, how long they're willing to work, what outgoings they have, what risk profile they have, just generally what they're trying to achieve over the long term. And then you tell it for that because some people might be a passive income goal to target. Other ones might be trying to build some net wealth. Um, and then there's also that balance between getting serviceability from the banks versus maximising your lending versus how quickly you want to do it as well. Like yeah. an aggressive investor obviously has to do some type of value add. They're going to yeah. have to do those flip and sells, those renovations, development projects. Um, a mum and dad investor who's just going to buy one property over the next five years, they need to buy a really good quality blue chip asset that's just going to perform well over the long term. Yeah, how often I've heard people want to buy five or ten properties in two years, but the lending capacity stops at two. You know, it's not an option. I think it's what people often don't know what they don't know. They might come to you and say, I really want a commercial investment because I spoke to Bob at the barbecue and he said I should buy this great commercial investment. I'm 22 and I'm, you know, one day might own my own business. Have you talked to a lot of people out of stuff like that? Yeah, 90% of the time I'm talking people out of commercial. I mean, it's generally just their age or their borrowing capacity that's getting there. So with commercial, you need a larger deposit, say 30%. So there's an argument to be made. You could buy three residential properties on 20% deposit versus only two commercial on 30% deposits. Mm -hmm. So you're actually going to have a portfolio that's 33% larger by maximising your leveraging. But then if that same client is getting to the end of their serviceability, then a commercial or a high-yielding kind of cash flow asset might be a better option. So that's why it's good to shop around a bit as opposed to going to just one firm that does one strategy, talk to a few different people and see what might fit because, you know, we see it all the time, especially with people that come in and want to do a big reno project. They've watched the block. They think that looks great, sounds good in theory. And I ask them if they've ever picked a hammer up in their life. And they're like, well, no, we've never – like we both work in offices and like we wouldn't want to do anything ourselves. We just want to paint and pick the cushions. Great. So now we're paying retail rates for every part of that project and then suddenly you're losing your margins. So the, the biggest one I get is people come to me and they say, I want to do a development project. And I ask them, do you actually want to do it or do you just want to tell people you're a developer and then reap the benefits of being a developer? And they're like, oh, yeah, that one. I'm like, okay, <laughs> go out and find a really good developing company and they'll do it much better for you. They'll, yeah. They're experienced, they'll get cheaper tradesmen and you'll actually have a bigger profit margin. Do you know what a gross realisation is? No. Okay, you should not be doing this. <laughs> 
<laughs> Do you know what a feasibility so is? No. There's so much to know. Yeah, yeah definitely so Excellent. much to know. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate having you on. Thank you so much, Anna. That's another episode of The Property Experience. That's a wrap for today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Property Experience. Stay tuned for more great content.